This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go into hour three on a great day for talk radio. It's the Monday edition. Going to be interesting to see uh, what transpires at the bottom of the hour. The Toronto Police Service having to respond to inquiries about uh, some officers, allegedly from uh, 52 Division downtown, behaving badly last night uh, along, well, in the entertainment district. Again, Instagram uh, postings have shown officers uh, with women in the car, and uh, they're dialing up some uh, thumping uh, dance music, some EDM uh, right there on their police computers. <laughs> and one of the women, anyway, uh, is seen to be handcuffed, uh, and they were driving them to another club on King Street. Uh, David Perry, uh, who's a former police officer of 28 years, is going to join us at the bottom of the hour to explain uh, what the professional standards are, because Megan Gray with the police service, the spokesperson, was suggesting this has been referred to professional standards. Uh, I'm just guessing. It's a wild one on my part, uh, or maybe it's just intuitive, but uh, I would think that'd be misbehavior in violation of certain codes of professional conduct. But then again... Uh, just blue skying it. When it comes to men behaving badly, we were talking about this Gillette ad that's trying to focus on uh, toxic masculinity, which is one of those kind of hazy words or phrases. It's like white privilege. Uh, it's an easy thing to condemn. Well, if you take the default position that just men in general behaving in a masculine way is toxic or anyone who's white is de facto privileged which I think uh, we would all challenge at least uh, certain assumptions. But I wanted to get a professional in here who might help interpret what this all says going forward, amongst other things, and helping us in that regard, Dr. Oren Amate, a registered psychologist and media consultant. Oren, good to have you back on The Oakley Show. Hi there. Hi, John. How are you doing? Pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, This Gillette ad, you familiar with it? Yes, I am. What are your thoughts? Uh, I hate to use a term that uh, is being overused, but this is the classic virtue signaling. It's a cheap way to, you know, to appeal to other people saying, look, we're great, we're doing all this stuff, but it's, it's premised, sorry, it's based on a premise uh, that you just described, which is basically not that toxic masculinity is bad, but to quote the American Psychological Association, um, that traditional masculinity is bad, and this is not going to end up, you know, proper. That APA ruling just came out recently, too, didn't it? Yeah, it just came out last week. It's not a ruling. It's a manifesto. It's oh, right. a guideline. It's, um, yeah, it's a nightmare. And I was at a Quillette get-together uh, last night with about 500 like-minded, open-minded critical thinkers, and everybody was talking about that, men and women, old and young, people of all backgrounds, saying, what the hell were they thinking? So Gillette is just feeding into this same type of mindset. And we know that when you accuse people... You know, it, the, the, the message underneath this is that, you know, all boys or all men are acting this way or are prone to acting this way. And when you give such a message to people who aren't acting that way, you're not going to encourage them to stand up and do the right thing. You're going to get them to resist, to be pissed off and not to be not to like being denigrated that way. Yeah, I was likening it uh, to the equally ambiguous notion of white privilege. Uh, 
which casts anybody who's white into disrepute. Exactly. And the apologists for this say, well, because I've dealt with my white privilege, I understand that they're talking to, about a concept rather to any, any individual. But the reality is individuals, individual men, individual white people are the ones who are receiving the message. And if you are a white person who does not feel privileged, who's lived a life of abuse, of, you know, of everything but privilege, again, this is going to upset you more. It's not going to have the intended consequence, and the same thing will happen to males. Are there a number of men who act badly? Yes. Are there a number of women and girls who equally act badly but in different ways? Yes. So we can't, we've got to stop framing it in a way that alienates people, that you know, isolates them and points them out as you are the bad people and everybody else is not bad because anyone living in a reality that we all share would say this is not consistent with what I am seeing. But this is part of where the culture wars are playing out, isn't it? I mean, in these types of uh, campaigns to try to frame social mores, what is correct, what is not, politically speaking. Uh, And so you see a risk or a danger in this. Well, there's a huge danger because if we said, hey, don't be a Nazi, then everyone's going to agree, yeah, Nazism isn't good. But now it's being uh, framed as a... Don't be, uh, you know, a traditional or toxic male because it's bad and everyone's supposed to agree with that. And B, we're supposed to all agree that this is all a reflection of the patriarchy, something that is not that well defined. And certainly a large number of people would not agree that what society is, at least our society, is a patriarchy. Are there societies out there that happen to uh, have outright patriarchies? Yes, and for some reason, these same culture warriors and social justice warriors um, seem to give them a pass, and they turn their attention to North America or to Canada. And it's, it's turning reality on its head, and as I said, the outcome is not going to be what they expect, and this is why we get a reaction in the opposite direction. Yeah, another word we can add to the lexicon is fascist. You know, anybody who disagrees or challenges your particular point of view, he's a fascist. <laughs> yeah, and I was called that publicly with uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson and Gad Saad uh, back in uh, 2017 because we were uh, going to give a talk on free speech. So, yes, um, I, I'm used to being called a fascist, a Nazi, lots of other things, transphobe, you name it, I've been called it. Why is so much of this taking root in our college and university campuses? Sadly, because um, a lot of the um, the professors uh, who are you know who are teaching young minds, who are supposed to expose them to a, a variety of ideas, are doing exactly the opposite. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a Jordan Peterson knockoff, but this whole postmodernism movement um, that started you know let's say back in the 50s and 60s, or got a lot of ground then, and really picked up in the 70s and beyond, um, has really taken hold. And every study shows that the vast majority of uh, faculty at any or almost all universities are left-leaning. I'm extremely liberal, but I'm not left-leaning because I've seen what's happened to it. And I've spoken to many people who are the same way, but they are adults usually, or they are people who have seen what has happened when you let this madness continue. These young students who are coming in now at 17, 18 years old, um, and who want to be good people, and are being told by the people who they are looking up to, the, the educators, and starting before university as well, now it's seeping into high school and even you know elementary school, but they are looking up to them to impart wisdom, to impart social mores onto them, and these people are telling them everything we've just discussed, and this is wrong-headed. Any way to put this genie back in the bottle? 
I don't think we can put the genie back in the bottle, but I think it's up to every single right-minded person to step back and say, look, I am not going to allow myself to be subjected to the kind of manipulation and outright what seems like fascistic uh, tactics where if I disagree with something that has no you know, fact behind it, I am not going to you know, be, be shut up. I am going to speak out in a civil way. I'm going to provide the evidence. And if I am a parent, if I'm an educator, if I have a supervisory role in business, I am not going to blindly follow the dictates being imposed on me because they may have good intentions, but the execution and the premises underlying them are faulty. That's what we can do. And maybe we can't put the genie back in the bottle, but maybe we can uh, kneecap them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say uh, I'm predicting this Gillette campaign is going to be an epic fail, but uh, we'll wait and find out. With Dr. Oren Amate, registered psychologist and media consultant, I've got to ask you about something else doing uh, with kids and their parents. And, you know, because kids, uh, it seems now, are just engrossed in their mobile devices. Uh, There's a parent who's come out with an app, Reply ASAP, uh, which allows the parent to send a message to the kid's iPhone and uh, basically it would uh, top any other incoming, uh, even if the kid, you know, is playing a video game or whatever, uh, it would sound an alarm as well. And uh, the kid basically then has to acknowledge that he's received the message because parents sometimes, or in in this case, the one who's developed the app believes a lot of parents want to have that kind of tab on their kids. And since they get so easily distracted, uh, they want to know they received the message. It's important. So the parent's prerogative is... Uh, you know, rule supreme here. Uh, this a good development or not? I was torn when I first saw it. I thought uh, it's one more uh, app or one more um, device that is kind of robbing kids of their independence, of their ability to make mistakes and screw up and everything. But on the other hand, if since many parents are giving their young kids, and I think they shouldn't be doing this, but they're giving them these mobile devices, for a young child, I think it makes sense, number one. Now, one thing you didn't mention is that once the person responds that they've got it, it also shows their location. Right. So that part I don't like, unless it's a young child. A parent should know where their young child is. If it's a teen, at what age? I'm not sure, 14, 16, 18. If it's a teen, I think that that location part shouldn't be a part of it. If a parent does want to be able to reach out to that teen and just say, look, here's an important message, um, I think they should have the right to be able to do it. And there are lots of impediments to that. So I'm not against it for that purpose, but I just don't like this idea that the parent now knows exactly where the teen is because it's giving the message, you know, hey, you can't take care of yourself. There's one. There's a difference between you can't take care of yourself and I need to have a leash tethered to you versus, hey, you've got a phone. If I want to get in touch with you, you better damn well answer. If I'm giving you the privilege of staying out late at night, you better be responsive. Those are two different things. So the part about being able to override the rest of the programming on the phone, great. I'm okay with that. The uh, the location part, I'm not so much. Well, let me ask you then another thing, because, you know, the ubiquitous nature of uh, the cell phone, uh, any type of, uh, well, the social media and so on, so the perpetual connectivity of kids and their devices, I believe there are changes uh, in how the brain functions, if I'm not mistaken, but you're the psychologist. Have there been enough uh, studies on this to show that there's maybe a, a danger moving forward with kids' brains being altered? Well, there's definitely more and more research coming out. I mean, it was preliminary. I think that's enough years have passed that we can now say that, yes, they have shown that it does. And, it, and I'm not a neuropsychologist, so I can only report on what I've read. I haven't done the studies. 
but it does look as if it ha is having an effect. Um, some people are claiming that for certain things, for example, uh, a lot of boys especially, and girls too, are playing shooter games. And so certain connectivity is happening in the brain where they're really good at, um, you know, let's say hand-eye coordination. So there are some benefits. Uh, but others are saying that it is stunting certain parts of the brain that we would normally have developed through, you know, face-to-face -face interactions, through uh, interpersonal um, engagement, and that part is worrying. Um, there's also a lot of, we know, uh, in a lot of anxiety, distress, helplessness, depression uh, being created in young people with all this connectivity, um, whether it's because they're actually physically looking at the screen, which is part of it, or whether it's because of the impact of being, you know, hooked to these devices that connect us to far too much information, to far too much social engagement that is not necessarily healthy. It's not that they're doing homework online. It's that they're looking at seeing what everyone else is doing. It's that they're seeing messages that they might not be able to handle for yet. It's um, feeling that everyone else is living a lifestyle that they are unable to live and that they can't live up to. All of this is coming in, in such, I don't um, let's say, uh, heavy waves that you know, children and even adults are not well equipped to handle. And we are only now seeing some of the after effects. And, and the most important ones truly are sense of isolation, lots of stress, distress, helplessness, depression, and anxiety. Those are what we're seeing uh, people report far more today than they were before. Well, uh, the use of these devices is certainly a cautionary tale. That's the irony of social media, too. Uh, a lot of people who are immersed in it are less socially adept. Uh, Oren, it's always great to talk to you. I learned so much. I appreciate your time and look forward to doing it again real soon. My pleasure. Thank you. And I'm speaking on a landline for the record. Oh, <laughs> very good. Uh, the power. Uh, well, you know what? It was uh, refreshing because it was clear. The signal was clear. There was no breakup. I didn't have to apologize or reconnect. So uh, let's do it again that way the next time. My pleasure. You got it. Dr. Oren Amate, registered psychologist and media consultant. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.